Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Chronicles. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the Crypto Hipster, where from the period of time of March 2021 through June 2022, I interviewed 182 founders, executives, entrepreneurs, artists, and authors from over 50 different countries and built a global audience in 165 countries while posting and producing my podcast at the Irish Tech News platform. Since then, I realized there's a lot of incredible content in the interviews that I had and my interviews with thought leadership podcast interviews that had amazing gems, amazing gems from um, all the guests that I was able to interview. And so I've chosen and decided to create the uh, Crypto Hipsters Chronicles series, which is a series of the gems, the, the little tiny pieces from each of the interviews that I had in the areas of Bitcoin, Ethereum, metaverses, NFTs, regulatory issues in crypto globally, art, and you name it across the wide spectrum of different verticals in blockchain and crypto industry and in fintech and mobility and sustainability as well. Uh, these are about 15 minutes long, each uh, chronicle, and has three, four, or five different segments from different interviews. So I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I hope you have uh, learned a lot. And if you'd like to um, listen to the full podcasts, they are available online at both the Irish Tech News um, and on Anchor. And uh, in a future date, will be available on the Crypto Hipsters station as well. So please enjoy and uh, talk to you soon. Welcome to Crypto Hipsters Chronicles, episode 34. This is the submission that I had for podcast of the year to the Irish Podcast Awards for the year of April 2021 through March 2022. It is a 15-minute segment of the interview that I conducted as my 100th Crypto Hipster podcast with guest Charlie Schrem. This is a 15-minute clip from that roughly 40-minute interview, my 100th episode. Enjoy. You know, I want to find out your bit. Your, your, you just mentioned it. You said we're going to get into it. You know, uh, you have a Bitcoin story, which includes you know, a year and a half in, in prison. I want to find out more, more information about your story. Oh, so the the early Bitcoin years uh, <clears throat> were were the Wild West, and they were a lot of fun. But at the same time, there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of throwing shit at the wall to see kind of what sticks. Because at the end of the day, we were all having fun with it, and if and Bitcoin wasn't really worth much. So if it failed, it just we we the only people that we were failures to were to each other, and we were already the people that got involved early. We were kind of the misfits in the traditional sense of the world, not people that easily fit into pro social society. Uh, I can't speak for everyone, but I had difficulty making friends in school growing up and things like that. A lot of anxiety. 
And so the Bitcoin community was the perfect community because I wasn't afraid of failure. Uh, we were all doing something together, and I was 20 years old, and it was a lot of fun. And this thing kind of grew and grew and got a lot bigger than we thought it would be. At first, um, Bitcoiners hung out on uh, Bitcoin talk forums. We hung out in chat rooms. We, uh, there was no crypto Twitter. It didn't exist. No one ever used the term crypto or blockchain. It was all Bitcoin. I think these years were like 2010 to 2013. After that, things kind of changed. Um, and so when, when I remember I actually wanted to, there were free Bitcoin faucets. You can go and you can get a few Bitcoin, five or six Bitcoin for free and to play around with it because you wanted to join the ecosystem. Like how people want to play with NFTs today. They want to play with different tokens and things like that. It was the same thing with Bitcoin, but it was hard to get more than five or six Bitcoin for free. You'd have to like sell something or figure out a way. There were no exchanges. There was one place that you can go called Mt. Gox in Japan, and you can wire money to some guy's personal bank account and, and do it that way. But it wasn't, you know, the way an industry, an ecosystem, a marketplace was going ulti- to ultimately be successful. So I met a guy in the forums, a guy in Wales, and we started uh, BitInstant, which was the, uh, a way for people to buy and sell Bitcoin at over like a million locations in the U.S. and around the world. We had partnerships with like Walgreens, CVS, Walmarts, all these different convenience stores. And so all of a sudden, at the time, I think we had like 30,000 customers, like tens of thousands of people can walk into a store and buy Bitcoin to join this little community. And that's really all it was and all it needed. And so in those in that two year span, you saw things like Coinbase launching. You saw different projects and different type of like Namecoin, Litecoin, Feathercoin, all these different Peercoin, Pipercoin, all these different. If you look at the coin market cap of like 2011 or 12, it was very different than what it looked like today. It was a lot of experimental proof of work type of forks. There were no. ICOs or tokens, Ethereum hadn't been invented yet. It was still a very experimental tech community. Uh, but things got very big very quickly. The prices of things of Bitcoin started going up a lot. Government came out with uh, new rules and regulations and everything kind of changed. And so overnight, I think BitInstant became a company that was allowed to exist, playing around with airline miles and being just kind of this fun tech company to all of a sudden, within one day, we were... We were uh, regulated the same way as a bank would be regulated. So I I went from the CEO and cleaning the toilets. I was also the compliance officer. And obviously that was a bad idea because I was a young kid and I let someone uh, buy Bitcoin from our company who I knew was then going to go on like Silk Road and resell those Bitcoin. And at the time you had this crazy nascent community or whatever. And so obviously, you know, when you're when you're a regulated company, you, you have to. Uh, no suspicious type of reports when I didn't. And so I went to federal prison for for a year and a half. And when I got out, I didn't know if Bitcoin would even be a thing. I honestly was like, will I have a job? What will I do? Does Bitcoin exist? You don't have people would like mail out like the way I would get my information was people would print out the front page of reddit.com and send it in the mail to me. So I'm getting the front page of Reddit where I can't even click on the links two weeks late. How are you supposed to be a part of like a trailblazing Bitcoin world, you know, when you're sitting in prison? So I wasn't sure what I would do when I got out. And then I got out and the whole world changed. I, uh, I joined in 2017 and that was a time with, uh, during the ICOs and, and 
announcements were made every week and I had to keep shifting my business. I shifted it out of business. So uh, it's good to be here with you today and, and uh, you know, talk about podcasts. You have an amazing podcast. Uh, it's called Untold Stories. You know, what is the focus of the podcast and, you know, what have been some of the most intriguing interviews you've done today? Because I'm sure there have been a bunch. That's, that's a great question. I People ask me that. I need to, like, go in back and really think about which were my favorite episodes. But I think my memory will be jogged. So I started. So when I got out of prison, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But it turns out that <clears throat> the crypto space and I had I, all of a sudden I'm hearing this term like blockchain. You know, I went from being like they called me the prince of Bitcoin back pre-prison to when I got out, the industry was like huge. And I very seriously questioned my place within it. I don't want to come back with an ego and say, oh, I want to be a part and be a CEO again and run the space. And I was like very concerned. I didn't tell anyone I had gotten out of prison for like six months just because I didn't want to be very careful with with kind of what would my future be. Here I am. I'm like 25 years old. I left New York. I'm being released. I'm in Pennsylvania. <clears throat> I have less than $20,000 to my name. And I was very lucky because in those years, uh, 2016 was when I got out. The Bitcoin space became the not just Bitcoin space, but it became the crypto space and Ethereum and all these other projects. I was getting involved in Steam and all these other bit shares and really cool projects in the early days. I still call those days the early days because right now is the early days. But <clears throat> the industry welcomed me back with open arms and I was able to start building and growing and starting companies again. I started working. I ran full time and I ran uh, the Jack's wallet, one of the largest wallets that was around. It's still around now till today. And then in 20, <clears throat> um, I started to invest in a lot of different projects and do work with Voyager and different companies. But then I realized that my true love was educating and I loved my favorite thing was getting on stage and talking to people and really like I just love this thing in a geeky nerdy way that when I get to do a podcast or get on stage that makes me not feel bad about being geeky and loving it I just get to express that passion and love so I started untold stories in 2018 which was an idea of like bringing the OGs and the old stories and merging it with what's going on now because maybe just maybe there are like common threads and weaves that we can kind of bring together and use that in our investment thesis, make money on it, uh, but just have fun too. And so we did a 200 and almost 250 episodes now. Um, and I think actually one of my favorite episodes was my hundredth episode because um, I had <clears throat> another podcaster. Isn't it funny that on your hundredth episodes, I never have other podcasters on my show, but on my hundredth episode, I had who I consider a great podcaster, Peter McCormick, who runs the What Bitcoin Did. And it was a great show. We did like a two-hour show, and I loved having someone else kind of interview me because I don't get to talk enough about myself on my own podcast. I'm always interviewing other people. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't talk too much about myself, a little bit, but, um, you know, my my guests are the, are the men and women who are in the game, on the, in, on the field, you know, on the you know, playing in the arena, right? So um, I always want to hear from them. Um, so, you know, because I interview many founders and entrepreneurs and, and you know, there are certain themes like that I um, seek, like resilience and perseverance and tenacity, right? You have a different take on things and you, you, you know, find people with interesting stories. So how do you see yourself in their experiences and what are some of the traits that you, that you find yourself, you know, matching with them? 
ah, it's funny. There's a great trait that I started to notice with with like very very high powered uh, project creators, wealthy people. Um, every almost every guest on my show has a, a very similar trait, and actually make I I, <clears throat> I look at myself and I wonder, and 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 I want I'd like to have this trait more, but. Everyone is hyper, hyper confident in what they're doing, but in what they're not doing, they have almost no confidence. So it's like you can have someone who can brilliantly invest, invent a new consensus algorithm, but can't hold a conversation at a party because they're an introvert. Uh, and that's just a very extreme example. Um, I'm very sad. I was telling my wife last night, I was like, oh, I'm nervous for a Christmas party because I got to talk to 100 people. And I'm like, I get a little... Um, you know, I remember I grew up having trouble made friends. So a lot of folks in this space portray this confidence level and you look at them on crypto Twitter, you look at them in person and you, I want to be like them. I wish I was as confident as these people. But what I try to remind the other people is these people are just very confident in what they're good at and what they know they're good at and what they know they're doing. But most of them have imposter syndrome, just like you and I. And that's like a huge trait that I think if you can harness that energy, you can be very successful in what you want to do. Interesting. I know I'm not good in a lot of things. There might be a few things, yeah. but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not that good in them either. But just admitting that, that is, that is very important because most people have the cream cheese effect where they believe that the bagel size is unlimited and they're an unlimited amount of cream cheese and you can spread it on that bagel. But most people spread themselves too thin. As long as you can recognize that and you can harness that power and energy, you won't spread your... You like that. I love bagels. I'm hungry. I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> I love analogies. So, today's world, Bitcoin, you know, still early days, right? It's a little bit, lo little bit later on now. Institutions have arrived. Um, and so it's considered yeah, digital have. gold, you know, to... It, to, to attract the institutions, you know, um, and, you know, as a digital gold, it's, you know, ways and means to maybe soften the, the risk, right, uh, associated with Bitcoin. So how do you, how do you see the institutional involvement? Um, and, you know, what, how does that align with your, with what you're up to with the Bitcoin Foundation and investor place? Well, like you said, it's solving the global trust deficit. So you have, and we didn't really, it didn't really affect our pocketbooks until 2009. But over the past few decades, there's this been centralization of trust and those who we allow to charge us money for that trust, whether it be, or people we allow them to make money off of that trust, whether it be the social networks that we have modern day to the invention of the credit card. I mean, if we look at the credit card when it really took off in the 80s. We trust one company with our whole financial world. And that was a big change. Centralization of trust came to a, a headwind in 2008 during the great, you know, the Great Recession, the global recession. Your your listeners, especially the Irish Tech News podcast, you know, Ireland was one of the, the, the craziest hit countries during that time, during the, the global, uh, uh, the great financial crisis. And I kind of look at all of this and the invention of Bitcoin as solving this great, great trust deficit that we've been building. And so we've been trusting those who shouldn't be trusted or have been like abusing that. And so 
these technologies that we're building and it started with just Bitcoin, but it's all of them. And at people, it also answers the question of when we'll reach mass adoption. But if everything we do today that involves any type of trust in the, the those basic, basic level down to you and I getting our mortgages where we have to have a, we have to trust physical people or it's like our cities down to we're doing this podcast together right now, the data from your room to my room, there's probably 15 companies that are making money from the data right now between you and I. But when this show is finally be able to done on a web 3.0, as we call it, whereas we own this data through decentralized data clouds and things like that, that is solving that global trust, trust deficit. And the way you incentivize that is through like token economics. How? Mm. Well, because the way before was the people who would make the most money of most money from it were the centralized parties, the centralized parties, the businesses, you could invest in them. You can buy shares of MasterCard or banks on a stock market. You don't have a lot of shareholder rights, but essentially you'd be able to buy pieces of these uh, companies. And so you can have a piece of that. But now that's all changing because it's fully decentralized and distributed with tokens and the future of NFTs and the ability to own pieces of protocols. You're owning like pieces of the software and you also own pieces of the gas that makes the software run. And it's not like there's one centralized person that says this is how it has to run. It's like a decentralized system.